from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. Did it again. You just arrived to the season five debut of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser. This is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. Today, about finances. First, some housekeeping, though. Please remember that we'll be doing Shark Bite Biz Live, a live stream on July 25th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. The link will be down below. It's on YouTube. Please hit that little notification bell to be reminded when we kick off the show. You're going to love it. This is going to be a special live stream episode, and we'll discuss the current business news of the day. As we get closer, we're starting to pick out some topics now, and I'm going to have a special co-host and previous Shark Bite Biz guest, Odata Pine of G7 Tech Services. Also, please don't forget, support the channel. If you love what we do as much as I do, please go to deadhousecoffee.com. And remember, that's a place where you can get the freshest coffee on earth that is roasted, sealed, and shipped to your doorstep, fresh without any delay. Best yet, use code SHARK. You'll get 20% off your order, and we'll get the proceeds to do, keep doing all this cool stuff that we're doing here. Now, let's get back to today's show. We're going to be talking about wealth and finances, something that with inflation at over 9% right now in the U.S. is a topic that is hitting all of us hard right now. It doesn't matter how much you make. It is hurting you, whether it's food, whether it's groceries, whether it's gas. So we're going to be talking about all that stuff. So who do we have today? None other than Jackson Milan. Jackson has worked to shift control back into the hands of the people when it comes to working towards achieving financial freedom. Helping six- and seven-figure service businesses, Jackson co-founded Areas Financial, a wealth coaching and strategic advice business serving service businesses around the world, which now does over $5 million with 30 staff and over 800 clients globally. Jackson is an international best-selling author in eight countries and has personally coached over 1,000 clients to build over $1.5 billion in combined wealth and aims to change the lives of thousands more in the years ahead. So, hey, without further ado, let's bring Jackson right on in here. Business strategy. Jackson, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. David, thanks for having me, mate. It's um, really looking forward to our conversation. So you use the word mate. Everybody's going to be wondering where are you coming from? You're from the land down under, right? I am, mate. So uh, we're up in far north Queensland, which is the pointy end of the east coast in the tropics. And it's a, uh, a nice uh, 25 degrees Celsius here. So about 77 degrees Fahrenheit, I believe, if my uh, my conversion uh, across to, uh, to to your system uh, works. Um, and uh, we're, we're living the dream up here. We've got a 70-acre animal sanctuary here that's a, a pet project. Uh, and that's what we do in our, our spare time. Oh, that, that sounds amazing. And I do believe your Celsius to Fahrenheit conversion is probably right on or are pretty close my wife is uh is peruvian so we're always going back and forth as far as i give temperatures in fahrenheit she gives it in celsius and then i'll be like yeah you know they're saying it's going to be 27 degrees she's like what are you talking about 
or, you know, she'll be like, Hey, it's going to be 27 degrees. And I'll be like, what are you talking about? You know, it's summer. And she's like Celsius. Dummy. And it's, Oh, you know, so yeah, we, we kind of multicultural, multi-temporal house, I guess you could say. But anyways, we have a tradition on this show. Very first question we ask everybody, let's just establish some boundaries. Who are you? Where do you come from? I mean, you already said Australia, but tell us your business background. What do you do for a living? How'd you get there? Basically in a nutshell, and this is a loaded question, but in a nutshell, tell us what makes Jackson, Jackson. Yes. So uh, I'm Jackson Milan. I'm also known as the Wealth Mentor. Uh, I've been in the wealth and business strategy space for over 15 years now. And uh, I got started in this space because of my parents. Uh, my parents were very hard workers. They were business owners. My mum was a hairdresser and my dad was a tradesperson. He worked in a lot of different home services spaces and they worked really hard. They worked 16 hour days for as long as I could remember. And they always said to me as a kid, Jackson, like, if you want to be successful in this world, you need to work hard for it and work hard they did. But I remember as a kid realizing very early on that there was something wrong with what they were telling me and because they were working incredibly hard, but never had much to show for it. There was always hand to mouth. There was always enough to get by. We didn't go without anything, but there was no excess or surplus of means. And I very quickly discovered that they were working for money as opposed to money working for them. So when I left school, I started training to become a financial advisor because I wanted to help people like my parents. And I very quickly became disheartened because I realized that the industry really wanted to serve two types of people. They wanted to serve wealthy people and make them wealthier. And they wanted to sell commission-based products to people like my parents who didn't need them. And I hated it. And I nearly hung up my hat. But as I was kind of exiting the door, I asked myself a question. I said, Jackson, if I was going to do this differently, the way that I thought it should be done, how would I do it? And I binned the term financial advisor. I created the term wealth coach. And I designed a system that we call the Wealth Mastery Machine that is all about teaching business owners and entrepreneurs about the language of money, helping them create a financial roadmap so they've got complete clarity around what financial freedom means and how to get there and show them exactly how they maximize their business profits and systematically build personal wealth. And over the better part of the last decade, we've helped our clients build over $1.5 billion in combined wealth. Uh, we've created a $6 million business for ourselves in the process, and I've been able to create financial freedom at 33. Wow. That is uh, an, an incredible story and journey. You know, congratulations on having financial freedom at 33. I'm 39. And I'm scratching at the surface, but uh, still trying to fight for our own financial, you know, freedom. One of the things that kind of struck me there is you, you have two chords with your personal story. One is that, you know, your parents taught you from a young age, you know, you work hard and, you know, you reap the, the rewards of working hard. So, Today's culture, I, I kind of feel, I don't know if maybe this is an American thing. I don't know if it's like this down in Australia. So this could be, or maybe it's not a foreign concept to you, but it seems like that message is getting a little bit muddied in today's culture. Would you agree with that? Is it like that down in Australia? Yeah, it's interesting. I think people still work hard. I think it's much easier than it was like in, in our parents' generation, right? Like think about it this way. 
back then you couldn't say, Hey, I'm going to go and live in a van and travel around and run the, live the laptop lifestyle. Uh, not only did a laptop not exist, but it just, exactly. It just didn't exist. We have so much more freedom of opportunity. And I do believe people do take that for granted. However, I am a big believer that history repeats itself. And I do see the same patterns behaviors and, and, and reactivity that entrepreneurs face today that I observed from my parents when I was just a child. And people wear this hard work as a badge of honor. And it's not right. Uh, it's, it's not the hard work that you should be proud of. It is the, the rewards that you reap as a result of the work that you do that matter. And, and as the saying goes, uh, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, but cash is king. And there are so many business owners that are walking on a knife's edge and they're, they're, they're potentially just, just a couple of decisions away from going broke and losing everything. And it's not how people should run their lives, run their finances and, and run their business. I guess in the famous words of uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., show me the money, right? But, you know, and it brings up another that the, the other portion of your personal story you know you were mentioning like hey you know my parents were working 16 hour days again i don't know how the economic settings are down there in australia but i have watched the australian truck tanks so i have a little bit of an idea uh, <laughs> but um i will say that you know being a hairdresser like with your mother for an example that typically while it's a decent paying job i mean most i think younger people or single people or people that don't have a lot of financial you know financial responsibility can get by on that i mean unless you're a hairdresser for somebody like jennifer lopez uh that's paying you a crap ton of money to do her hair i mean that that's grilling work doing that day in and day out and it is usually for little or minimal rewards to where yeah you can get by you may be even if you're a single mother for example you might even be able to raise a kid or two and what you're making on that job but you know you still especially right now with how inflation is and the the price of oil and gas going up you know, it's a stretch to make ends meet for most people. And look, I think that is the commonly held belief, David, but I couldn't disagree more. And I'll explain to you why, mate. I believe that in this current day and age, in this age of social media and keeping up with the Joneses and the, the image that is pervaded in, in the, 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 the mass market, there's this image that's portrayed of this separation of wealth, of the working class and then all of these people who are sitting on this in this cushy uh, 1% lifestyle who are reaping all of the rewards, not necessarily working very hard for it. And this is a, a self-limiting belief that holds so many small business owners back. Now, I've seen this in my parents. My parents had these beliefs, like I'm just a hairdresser. I'm just a tradesperson. Um, there's always going to be gr greener grass in another pasture. And because of them having that belief and jumping from opportunity to opportunity or allowing that self-limiting belief to actually come true, because let's face it, mate, we prove ourselves right based on our perspective. It was famously said by Confucius, he who said he can and he who said he can't are both right. And I've spent my entire career helping very modest traditional industries, hairdressers, tradespeople, uh, service businesses, 
be able to create amazing high value propositions that they can charge premium prices, make tremendous amounts of money, and also buy back their time so they can create financial freedom faster. And what it comes down to, David, is that many people are great technicians, right? Like my mum was a very accomplished hairdresser. There was probably nothing different. And if there was, it was quite minuscule in terms of her skill set and the skill sets of, say, the hairdressers, like you mentioned, who cut the hairs of the stars, right? The problem was, is that my mother was not a good business person. She was not a marketer. She was not a financial fiduciary because she didn't understand those skills. She went to technical college to learn her trade. But then when she got into her own business, just because she thought that she was a good tradesperson, she thought everything else is just going to work itself out. And she ended up becoming the world's best kept secret, which is the vast majority of business owners on this. Kind of like this podcast. We're going to change that, David. Don't you worry, mate. We're going to change that. Right. So the fundamental principle here, and the reason why I'm so passionate about money and about finances is because when we can understand and become, uh, put ourselves into the driver's seat financially, we can actually dictate the terms and we can drive ourselves to our ideal destination. The issue with most business owners that are good technicians is that they get three things wrong. One, they don't know how to implement what we call platinum positioning. They don't know how to firstly define what is, it is financial freedom means to them. They don't know how to reverse engineer that into an income target, a profit target, and then their KPIs and metrics in their business. And therefore, when it comes to positioning themselves in the marketplace, they're basically competing on price. They're making sure that their, their clients take this leap of faith and they only charge what people are prepared to take a leap of faith on. Right, right. You know, that 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 makes sense. Can I elaborate on that for one second? And I hope my, my bosses for my day job, Vision 33, uh, don't kill me about this, but we've made a pivot. And it's mostly because of the fact that well, we we were a premium brand. We are the number one partner for SAP globally, for SAP Business One, as far as we saw more, we've done more implementations than probably second, third, and fourth place combined, okay? Like it's that big of a difference for that specific product, okay? For Business One, which is a small business, okay? Uh, you go further up the ladder and, you know, we're smaller. But even if you look at somebody like Bob Scott, who is a um, he's basically like a guru in the VR bar world, which is value added reseller, basically companies like Vision 33 continually Vision 33 ranks top 10. Uh, and that includes the big companies like KMPG, Deloitte, stuff like that. We're number, I think, number 10 as of last year. That's how large we are. Again, focusing on the small business size. But because of the great resignation and how much it is costing us to grow our business because of the increased bloated salaries that we have to pay right now. And I'm not saying that bloated salaries are bad. I'm just saying that compared to traditionally what I would pay as the executive for the Northeast region, for someone in the, the the same position two, three years ago compared to what I'm doing now is 10, 15, 20, 30, maybe even 35% more than what I was paying, you know, a year ago, even if they were job hopping. Okay. You made 115K. We'll give you 122K if you come with us. It's a minimal bump, not like we're seeing now. 
So what we had to do was we positioned ourselves, hey, look, we are a top 10 global partner, regardless of the space that we're in. We now have three main ERP solutions being business one as the, the main focus point. We have SAP business by, by design. We have Sage Intact, and then we've launched our own products being iDocument, which is a P2P program, as well as a, a Softbox, which is an integration platform. So we want to take on that, that premium brand aspect. And instead of just closing deals at any cost necessary and losing all this quote unquote profit, because we would charge 175, maybe 170, depending on the client and the project, you know, a year ago during COVID, well, during COVID, we'd go all the way down to 150 if we had to, because nobody knew the future. And it was just like, hey, everything's on lockdown. Any project we can just to keep people employed. But outside of that, typically 170, 175. Now we're kind of beyond that. And with inflation, all those costs I mentioned, we have had to position ourselves to where we're premium brand. We're charging 225 an hour. And if you want to get us to budge off that 225, there's got to be a very, very good reason. Now we will budge off that oftentimes because of a new client acquisition or it's a super large project or something like that. Like we're willing to work with people or maybe they're just a small startup and they can't afford 225. But we see looking at projects holistically, the year over year revenue, whereas to implement the customer at 225 versus implementing them at say 195, maybe it cost me, $2,500 or $3,000 in, in extra profit that we've lost by discounting the hourly rate. But the year over year growth, plus the additional license revenue, cloud revenue, SaaS revenue of them growing because we are their growth partners, easily like it validates that discount to where it warrants that. But outside of that, that's where then we've got to charge that premium brand because if not, we're actually undervaluing ourselves and we're discounting our own professional services when we are the best of the best and need that tier one revenue rate. That sounds to me, and that was a long story. Sorry about that. But that sounds to me exactly like what you were just saying. Did I hit? You're bang on. You hit the nail on the head, mate, for sure. And it's great to hear this is music to my ears. The vast majority of small business owners don't have the level of what we call P&L intelligence to make decisions like that. They are kind of like suck it and see. I've set my price because it's what I used to charge when I was an employee or it's cheaper than my competitors. It's guesstimate pricing. There is no science behind it. And here's the thing, David. Over the, since the global financial crisis, we have been in an upwards growing bull market where the stakes have never been lower. We've had low interest rates. We've had low inflation. If you haven't made money over the last decade, something is fundamentally wrong. And I hate to be blunt, but it's the truth. Yeah, exactly. And we're now getting into this bull, this bear market, right? Right. With the restat, that was my next pivot. The recession. I mean, okay, I don't want to say the R word yet, but it is looking more and more every single day. And you got to remember, okay, we're in, what, what are we, mid, almost mid-June right now recording this. This episode will not air until 
mid-July, one season five debuts. It'll be our first or second episode. So there's going to be a little bit of a lag here. Usually I don't call that out, but because of what we're talking about, it'll be cool because it will, it will our predictions come true or not, but it does feel like we are inching towards a recession. Just a week or two ago, I read an article, 10 weeks worth of wheat supplies in the world. I mean, it's like, okay, well, don't eat bread. That's what some of the people said. And I'm like, it's more than just that. I mean, so many other animals and different things reply, you know, require wheat than just me getting a loaf of bread from the store. You know what I mean? So go ahead, continue on your, your track. But I wanted to throw that in there for people to think about as you're answering. 100%. So the big challenge here is that we are heading into tough economic times. So look, I'm a serial optimist. I'm always looking at the bright side. However, I want to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And the issue has been that since the global financial crisis, people have become complacent. They have run their business on the smell of an oil rag. They don't understand their balance sheet. They don't have an economic moat. They don't have a war chest to fall back on. But when we look at small businesses, the vast majority of them have less than one month of operating expenses in working capital. That means that you are one month away from insolvency. And the issue is, and what I foresee here, is that the economic indicators are pointing towards something similar to the 1970s and 80s, where we suffered from the great stagflation, where we have low or no economic growth. Do you think that we're headed towards the 70s and 80s? I just read an article literally today saying that it looks more and more that now this is more U.S. based news. So Australia could be different. But they said that the Fed in the United States has finally got its act together. And we may be looking more. I think they quoted 1994 type crisis compared to uh, the 70s and 80s because they're, they're, they're finally acting proactively to to reduce that risk. They definitely are more proactively uh, managing it. And there are a couple of indicators that, uh, that are different. However, what we've got to realize is that when we look at the lesser of two evils being low economic growth or no economic growth and inflation, inflation is the biggest risk right now. And it is a systemic issue that the, the Fed and the central banks have very little control to influence because it is not a demand issue. It's a supply issue. The supply chains are still bottlenecked from COVID. Um, there is no sight of that being resolved. You've only got to go into Google image search and search GPS locations for ships globally. And it looks like it's crazy. Um, it, it looks like a uh, if you're looking down on a city of all of the lights that are everywhere, there's just ships absolutely everywhere and they're all bottlenecked. The second thing is the geopolitical uncertainty out of Ukraine. And they're also sitting at ports yet. I mean, I mean, is, is that still the is that still the case that like, for example, um, we had a few months ago, uh, Lisa Anderson, good friend of mine. She is a renowned uh, manufacturing and logistics expert uh, globally. And we were talking about this, about how at like the port of Los Angeles, she's out of L.A., like ships are just sitting there. They can't get into the port. Things are that bad. And once I sent the tweet out, like I, I couldn't believe how many people on I, I'm not going to get into the, the politics of it, but it is one side that was very partisan, like, oh, where are you seeing empty store shelves? Like where 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 I'm like, well, 
okay, please tell me where I can buy an Xbox Series X because everybody is sold out. Tell me where I can get a Mazda car right now that has a touchscreen in it. They've stopped, from my understanding, they've stopped manufacturing cars with touchscreens. They say because of safety reasons, but the truth is they couldn't get the chips to be able to produce it. So they all together pulled out of producing uh, on at least a lot of their models, touchscreens in Mazdas in the U.S. So, I mean, it's a real issue. It is a real issue. And look, here's the thing, right? I want to bring this back to things we can control because I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist here of, of shifting the blame to external factors. I'm a big believer that you need to understand the things that you can't control and focus on the things that you can. You've already got this show shadow banned, so we're, we're good. We've got a secret agent coming for us, David, so we've got to be careful. Look, look twice when you go around Black the helicopters and everything. I can, I can hear them now. So the big thing here is, and let's talk about the Xbox, right? When smart businesses have understood this supply issue and they've used it to level up their positioning, right? Now, this is a strategy that's been done by the elite watchmakers for decades, okay? Now, for example, if you want to buy a, a Patek Philippe, which is arguably the, the best watch in the world, they make you buy a lower-end Calatrava and go on a waiting list in order to get one of their high-level watches and you need to have, show enough uh, interest, spend enough money with them for them to even consider for you to buy one of their watches. Now, the benefit of this is that they don't need to hold inventory. They build on demand and they, they've created a market of scarce supply, which in turn, people want what they can't have, so then demand goes up. Now, PlayStation and Xbox have both implemented this strategy. They, but they've done that with their previous releases. I would say this release though, it, what we're seeing right now is different than the past because they did they did scarce releases to create buzz to create demand in the past what we're seeing right now is different they can't get enough chips produced they can't i mean you have like china that's almost uh, on full lockdown in cities for covid as we speak that produces chips you know it's crazy but what i guarantee will happen david is that they won't release them in an abundant supply they will continue to use the scarcity because it's actually making them more money because the last thing that you want is being a business is have dead stock or inventory sitting on your balance sheet that is a liability for your business. So as a small business owner, there are really a number of things that you need to focus on because you can't be walking on a knife's edge. And we've got to realize that the dirty R word, recession, is the biggest wealth separation event that any business owner will go through. And you will either coast and ride the wave to the shore and it will catapult you to achieving financial freedom and beyond or it will absolutely decimate you and potentially have you hit the red reset button. Now, which side of that wave that you were on? I'm grateful with Vision 33. All those topics you hit, like war chest, all that stuff, totally safe. I mean, I guess it, I'm lucky because I work for a company that works as a growth partner with other businesses. So we, you know, we eat the food that we sell as far as having those insights, the business intelligence, the KPIs, we know everything down to not always perfect. You know, sometimes it's like, uh, you know, the portal showing that I have 17 sales, but I actually only have three. Now I don't complain about that because I prefer show I have 17, but in the back of my head, I know I only have three, but you know, you get a quirk every now and then, but 
I mean, we've been, we've been lucky that we're able to be proactive with that, but that is the exception to the rule. Correct. Most business owners are flying blind and then now is the time that they need to sort their shit out to be fair. Okay. So let's talk through how they do it in a growth market. Everyone is focusing on pulling one lever in their business, which is more volume. I need more clients. I need more leads uh, and I need to grow my top line revenue. This is great, but it's actually the most expensive lever for you to pull in your business. And because we've got a market to those people. Sorry for interrupting again, but I want to add context. So as we talk through these, because otherwise I'm going to end up with a list of a hundred different things to talk about that we'll never get to. So we'll make this conversational if you don't mind. But um, as you hit these topics, so if you look at that, okay, us again, using vision 33 is a perfect example. Um, our thing is, is like, Hey, we see things tightening. We have increased cost. you know, everything that I've, it's taken us longer to fill positions, which means if I can't fill a position for a billable asset, that means that that's work that's contracted that we're not able to bill on and get paid on. It's un, you know, uncollectible revenue for us for the time being. So what, we feel is the best way out of this is to sell our way out with the premium brand, with the higher price, stuff like that. It's sell, 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 sell. In fact, like even me right in my region, they're like, Hey David, you know what? You have a director of professional services that reports to you. Guess what? All escalations are now officially off your table. She's the director. She'll figure them out and you need to be hundred percent dedicated to sales because the, the big, you gotta remember our industry, there's two components. There's a perpetual base where it's like, you're going to buy software. So maybe it's a hundred thousand dollars worth of software, uh, or maybe you're doing SaaS and, and cloud where you're doing a monthly payment on them. Either way, it's instant gratification more money on the books. And that's where we feel that that helps us build a even bigger war chest to go out and get the talent that we need. Even if it's more than what we want to pay, it allows us to get the people in so that we can get those billable hours done, serve our clients. And ultimately, because we are a growth partner, us helping, you know, implementing the systems and helping them grow lean clean money-making machine will allow them then to buy more stuff off us in the future. That's how we look at things in the full picture. So how does that play into what you're saying right now? It definitely does, but you guys have all of your other stuff together, right? And the big problem that I see for the vast majority of small business owners is that they have addressed just that one lever without understanding everything else. And it's great to grow your business, but you want to do it profitably. There's no point taking on clients that keep you busy that is not making you profit and isn't filling the war chest. I've been told the to fire clients. I mean, straight out, they're like, if like we have a profitability KPI, we have one customer that is a major pain in the Kahoot. And it's like, wow, year to date, we've actually lost $9,000 with time invested into this client. So it's like, okay, we're finishing up this deliverable. They've already told us that they're going to shop this once they get their deliverable, their blueprint. So it's like, okay, 
shop, please find someone else. In fact, I even gave him a list of other people that can help him out. We want them gone because it's sucking resources from us and our region to lose money on. 100%. That's just not worthwhile. That's not good business in this day and age. That leads us to the second thing, which we've already alluded on, which is price. Now, we did a study across thousands of businesses at various different cost to serve models to be able to work out that if for an increase in price, how many less clients could you work with to make the same amount of money? Now, let me give you an example. In your business, if you have a 50% gross profit margin, so 50% gross profit margin, let's assume that your materials and your subcontractors or your frontline staff to deliver on that are 50%. If you increase your price by 10%, you could work with 17% less clients and make the same money. No, no, that, no, that that's totally, totally great. I, I think one of the big things that companies are missing. We've had a lot of experts on this show. And one of the, the trending themes that we hear is exactly what you're saying as far as, you know, you business owners are usually great at something. Okay. Whether it's cutting hair, whatever, but they're not necessarily business experts in running the whole business marketing, whatever it may be. And what business owners need to do is get themselves out of the granular, you know, day-to-day work and actually invest in hiring people around them that can drive those tasks. So that way the business owner is able to monitor, course correct, and help drive more revenue via more ideas, new products, wherever the business owner adds more value once you have those experts around you. And it sounds like pretty much that's essentially what you're hinting towards. Yeah, we need to have this level of intelligence. And look, the big problem is that most business owners abdicate this responsibility. They expect their accountant or their CPA to do this stuff for them. They expect their financial advisor to do this for them. You can't abdicate responsibility until you have some level of understanding yourself. Because let's face it, nobody is going to love and care for your money as much as you do. And this is the thing, right? As a small business owner, you are trying to create financial freedom. It's why you got into business. So if you want to create financial freedom, you need to get yourself into that financial driver's seat. And you need to get crystal clear on what financial freedom really means. You need to create what we call a financial freedom figure. How much wealth do you need for you to be able to have choice over what you choose to do with your time? Most entrepreneurs are never going to retire because uh, they'd be bored to death, right? But they want to have the choice. They don't want to be hamstrung. We've had someone on this show that actually uh, doing yard work, you know, he, he's like, my dad's like, Hey, you're, I, I forget if he was 16 or 17. He's like, uh, you got to go start cutting grass and making money. And all of a sudden, like 20 years later, he's doing it across like seven different States and sold the business for $20 million that he got himself. And he's like, there's only so many margaritas that you can drink on the beach before you're bored and you've seen every beach around the world and you need something else to do because he's a younger guy. I mean, he's, he was probably in his 40s. So now he's got a brand new startup, a tech startup that's still in the same industry, but he's back working again exactly because of what you said. 100%. So once we get clear on that number, we reverse engineer it and we work out, okay, what do you need to earn in personal income to allow you to live an amazing lifestyle and 
work towards financial freedom because there's so many people that are trying to shrink themselves wealthy and I want to have my cake and eat it too. And so does every other business owner. So we need to work out what do we need to do so we can do things without compromise. And then we need to work out what the business needs to produce in profit to allow it to have enough surplus to be able to build the war chest, to be able to pursue growth, to be able to acquire other businesses and pay you what you need. How many months is a healthy war chest? Prior to where we were right now, I'd be saying at a minimum it's three months, but I believe six months is the new three months and three months is the new zero months, right? Um, because look, honestly, I think we're going to have a tough two to three years. And for that reason, you just you can't afford to have anything less than three to six months in operating expenses. And and we literally uh, probably just went through the biggest. Uh, I know this is uh, one of those political talking points that you see all over the news and stuff, but I truly believe this with my heart. And I don't think this is political. I think it's business. I think that we have just had one of the largest transfer wealths in the history of not just the US, but the world. I mean, big tech, companies like Walmart, you know, those major corporations that were allowed to operate, whereas a small bodega had to close down, you know, for some reason you can't get, you know, sick at Walmart, but you can get sick at the bodega. Um, you know, we just had the largest transfer of wealth ever. And it it's hard for small to mid-sized businesses out there. It really is. It really is. And this is why we need to play catch up now. And then this allows us to work out what the business needs to do. And then it allows us to have our KPI. So imagine this, Dave, that we can connect all of the things that are intrinsically important to you, all of your goals, dreams, and aspirations. And we can connect that to the activity that you do each and every single day in your business. How much more motivated are you to keep the flame alive, to go do the work and to stick the course. You know, and that's another thing too. I think a lot of people, there's a taboo around talking about money. Like how much money do you really want, you know? Or for example, I grew up in the age where, and you did probably too, that if you were looking for a sales job, you would probably be asked during the interview, okay, what motivates you? And if you say money, most HR or most uh, recruiters would, yeah, they would look down upon you. And it's like, dude, I'm going into a sales job that pays commission. Money drives me. I mean, if I'm not motivated by money, then maybe I should not be working in sales. Maybe I should not be working for your organization then. And you know, it, it's one of those things that even to this day for me, what motivates me, what drives me, it's money. How much money can I make? I want to provide for my family. I want financial freedom. Most people do. It should not be a taboo to talk about that. It's crazy that it comes from our parents, right? I come from like my dad was, was from South America. Uh, he was very traditional values. And even he told me as a kid, he's like, don't tell anybody he was from Chile. He was from Santiago in Chile. Um, oh, I, I told you my wife's Peruvian. Yeah, so you understand. Um, he's, he survived a fascist uprising in the 70s and he fled to Australia as a political refugee. Um, and he had a lot of just traditional values. And he said to me, Jackson, don't tell anybody about your goals because they'll put curses on you. And we're all told these things by parents. I like, keep it to yourself. In Australia, we call it don't be a tall poppy. Don't be the tallest poppy in the field where you brag about what you've got. And what that means, mate, is that these experiences have power over us. And it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. 
You either don't want to claim your success. I agree. It, it depends on the values that you do it with, but people don't want to talk about what they've got because they don't want to come across as if they're bragging, but they also don't want to be the lame duck that's falling behind. And let me share this with you right now, because I, I tell my clients about t- like declaring their position publicly as, as soon as they possibly can. I was on the verge of bankruptcy in my mid twenties. Um, I had a business, my old man, my old man was di- diagnosed with, with cancer. He was the primary breadwinner. I had to save the family home. Uh, so I ended up myself in multi six figures of bad debt and nearly to a point where it sunk me. And I had the opportunity to declare bankruptcy and wait seven years to, for everything to clear itself and start again, but I wouldn't allow myself to be defeated. And I earned my way out of it. And as of today, right now, David, my wealth position is $3.4 million. Uh, and I tell you that because I want to show people that you can go from the deepest, darkest depths of financial despair. And if you have the determination, you have the skills, you have the plan, and you're prepared to take action, you can change your trajectory incredibly quickly. Right? No, you definitely can. Now, you're, you, you said you were 33, right? Yes. I'm, I am 39. I just turned 39 in May. And so six year difference. Now, you probably classify yourself uh, generationally just as a full-blown millennial, correct? Yes. Okay. So for me, this is a big contentious point with my 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 boss, who's the generation above us. But I tell him, no, I'm not a millennial. I'm actually a zennial. And I think that there is a huge difference in that because I'm an old, I'm an old millennial as he calls me, but that's because by the time that you, for example, would have been just getting out of college. Okay. Or, or, you know, I was already in the work field for many years making over six figures. And then we hit in the United States, the great recession lost everything, lost all my savings. And I went from a hundred thousand with probably 40 K plus in the bank to literally zero and negative money in the bank within a six to nine month period. And it took me a while to rebound from that. Now that was one of the greatest things that I think has ever happened to me in my life because learning from that has definitely helped me this time around be a little bit more cautious, take less risk. And with the R word potentially coming upon us, I look at things differently because I've lived through that. And I think that is a major difference between a 33-year-old in 2022 compared to a 39-year-old in 2022. So that's why whenever he says, oh, you're a millennial, no, 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 no. I'm a zennial. I'm a, you know, at least old millennial because I've lived a total different track, whereas most millennials got out of college during uh, the Great Recession or shortly after the Great Recession. So their experience, they weren't burdened with the debt. They didn't have the most of them did not have the family stuff like that. You know, I think I had a a nine year old at the, uh, you know, going back to. Well, no, no, I guess he was born in 2003. So if you look back 2008, 2009, he would have been five, six, 
you know, five, six, seven. And it really took me to 2012. And then you get into 2012 where things are starting to get back up. And I never went to college because I was making six figures without college. So it was like, why would I go to college? It would have stopped me from making money. I didn't feel that I needed it. But then you got to a point in the US where there were so many people looking for jobs. They didn't just want successful people with experience. They want the successful people with experience and college degrees, even for the most basic of basic sales jobs. And it's like, this is insane. That finally forced me to go to Penn State, go to college. And I'm glad I did. It was the hardest thing in my life. I was living in Mexico, working in San Diego. So it would take me 12 hours with crossing the border every single day plus studying full-time at the university, um, you know, doing that to be able to get my degree. But once I did that, uh, you know, I got the degree, I think, in 2012. Um, Within three years, I ended up at Vision 33, just working my butt off. And since then, the financial stability, security, my financial earnings, I mean, it's crazy because my whole life, I always just was thinking like, Hey, I, I, I just need to get the hundred, hundred thousand. And, you know, then I'm at a hundred thousand, you know, with this job and living through what I did back then, it's like, no, a hundred thousand isn't, isn't good enough. I need to get the 200,000. And then once I hit 200,000 and I'm there for five years straight, it's like, no, 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 no. I need to get to a million. How do I get to a million? And I'm trying to reverse engineer that in order to always be growing because I'm a big believer in that if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. I agree. Yeah. How much truth is in that whole that that whole story? There's a lot and, made, and there's a lot of similarities. I, I started my career, my first year as training to be a financial advisor was in the peak of the GFC. Um, so although I didn't have the debt and the responsibilities, I saw the blood on the streets. So I think I had that contrast of experience. And one of the lessons I learned very early on from one of my mentors, is he said, Jackson, I missed my first recession, but I'm ready for my next one. And uh, is I'm uh, when you understand the system and you know the rules and you know how these things play out, you actually get excited by the sheer amount of opportunity that times like this can create. Um, Recessions create the most millionaires. Exactly. So uh, I'm poised, I'm ready, I'm waiting, and I'm trying to help as many business owners get in that position so they can capitalize on the opportunities as well. Yeah, because I mean, it it creates, you know, hard economic times is where like an industry like Vision 33, there's different partners that may be smaller than ours, but maybe they only have 20, 30 clients or whatever. But if we go into full recession mode, they won't be able to survive. And that creates an opportunity for us to buy them on the cheap compared to a premium that might be right now. It it creates, you know, stock market opportunities. I mean, we saw that with um, uh, 2020 when everything um, ended up just crashing and burning and you were able to go out and buy a stock that may have been, I don't know, $25 in 2019. And then all of a sudden it's a dollar. And then once people got used to it in 20, I think 2021, roughly depending on the stock, you know, 
they started going back up. So it's like, holy cow, I just literally 10 times my money on this investment. And it, it, it creates a lot of different opportunities, but you have to be aware of those opportunities and how to take it. And one thing I do want to mention, I want to circle back. You had given the one phrase, the philosophical phrase, uh, what was it? Was it Confucius? Yep. He who said he can and he who said he can't are both right. Right. I had a mentor that always told me, and this was a pre-Great Recession, but he told me to, and he's going to be coming on this show very shortly as well, too. But he, he taught me, like, David, don't say you try. Because then if you say, if you're going to tell me that you're going to try to do something, you're going to come back and you're going to be like, well, Mike, I tried. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't do it. You know, commit to it and get the damn thing done. Just go say, I'm going to do it and actually execute. That way that, you know, if you end up failing, you end up failing. But you need to go out there and just commit to it fully. And it's one of the philosophies that actually kind of changed my life because instead of being wishy-washy, the only way that, um, you know, I end up committing is if I'm actually able to do it. So anyways, Jackson, this has been an amazing time. I think we've had a pretty awesome far reaching chat. I don't think I hit any of your uh, interview topics specifically. So sorry about that, but you do have a book out there. You have a podcast out there and I'd love you to be able to tell everybody out there, how can they digitally stalk you? Remember I'm saying digitally. So digitally stalk you, give us all your info right now, please. Yes. So if you're a multi six figure or seven figure service business, you're looking to get clear on your path to financial freedom so you can maximize your profits and systematically build personal wealth. Then what we do is write up your alley. So um, we put together a 40 point financial performance scorecard. It's the top 40 things that get in the way for most businesses creating financial freedom. And the average score is only about 18 out of 40, which means most business owners are doing less than average. And the good news is that once you do it, you can typically add between five and 70 a score very, very quickly. So if you go to wealthhealthcheck.com.au, that is wealthhealthcheck.com.au, uh, complete the scorecard, you'll get copies of all of my best-selling books, uh, some financial tools and calculators that'll help you improve that score. Uh, and uh, if you want to get in contact and have a conversation around how we can help, we work with clients all around the world to help them level up their money game so they can navigate tough and prosperous economic times. So I prefer to reach out uh, and I'd love to see how I can help. And so one final question for you, you, you are again down there, Australian business, a wealth coach, wealth advisor, how valid again, being an American show, American audience, just give us an idea, 10 second overview. How valuable or transferable is all of your knowledge being down there in Australia? How, how applicable is it to the United States, Canada, 
and all the businesses up here in North America? We do the same maths, mate. There's no separate rules for us down under. Uh, these are universal principles that apply everywhere around the world. I've had clients come as far as Bahrain uh, to work with me uh, because the, the language of money is universal. Uh, we all speak it. Uh, we all need to understand it. Uh, we all follow the same rules in the same global system. So uh, we've, we're able to work with clients anywhere around the world. And we all follow the dollar signs. Hey, Jackson, thank you so much, man. This was an awesome chat. I hope uh, hope you enjoyed yourself. It was great, bud. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. Take care. Wow, that was an incredible chat with Jackson, right? First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked those warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the world of small business, please do me a favor, share us out to your network, your friends, your colleagues, your family, wherever you dwell on the interwebs, whether Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Minds, anywhere out there, share us. I'm sure if they're a young executive, if they own a business, or if they're just trying to grow personally, professionally, or grow their business, this show will help them get there. Now, let's get back to our rock star guest, Jackson. The biggest thing I got out of this interview, and it's because, you know, it's what I do during my day job, is that most of his customers, you know, small business owners, suffers from what Jackson calls as guesstimating pricing, okay? Like, this is what I used to charge when I was a, an employee, so I'm gonna continue charging that. I think that's pretty much what Jackson was saying there, and that's found with some good fallacy because a lot of small business owners don't really have any data or intelligence Behind their pricing systems, they're guessing what it costs them to produce their product or their service. And that's where somebody like Jackson as a wealth coach can help you figure out that piece of the puzzle. And I'm sure Jackson would love me saying this, but I personally believe that there are two pieces of the puzzle. Not only does a wealth coach help you figure out a lot of the stuff that you need, but you also need analytical software like I do for my day job at Vision 33, okay, to help you figure that out. You know, ERP, enterprise resource planning, there are solutions out there for small businesses that can help you capture all of your costs, automate your prices, so that way you can take in all that raw data that you have and basically turn it into true business intelligence and get the actual cost capture all those costs, automate all these processes, so that way you're pricing your products or your services accordingly. Between a wealth manager like Jackson or putting in a new system with my company or maybe something that could be a better fit for your business, it can drastically change your revenue, your margins, and help you grow your business rapidly. I can tell Jackson and I, we're going to be good mates for a long, long time. Awesome stuff, Jackson. Thanks for coming on, chatting, sharing your mission. Please make sure you check out his business and also please check out his podcast, The Wealth Mentor Podcast. And as always, the links will be down below. Question of the day, how do you figure out your true cost of your products or your services? Please leave a comment wherever you're watching or listening to this show at. Remember, 
special live stream on July 25th at 6 p.m. Eastern with Odata Pine. And it's going to be right here on YouTube. We're going to have the link down below. Hit the notification bell so that you get a reminder once we go live with the show. Do you want to be on the show? If so, send out an invite to interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. If you're watching on YouTube, Rumble, or any of those other places, please make sure you join the channel on YouTube. You can become a baby shark for only $3 a month and you support our mission here. But if you don't want to give money through Big Tech, don't worry. We got your back. You can head on over to deadhousecoffee.com where you're going to get the freshest coffee known on earth. Coffee that is roasted, sealed, and shipped to your doorstep as fresh as possible. And if you use code SHARK, you'll get 20% off your order. All the other proceeds go right here to help us continue our mission at Shark Bite Biz. You all know this by now, but I'll tell it once again. Signing off from the very first episode of Season 5 with Jackson Milan. I'm David Strausser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 